0: That's S-R-S-A-C-Q-U-I-O-M.com. I'm Ted Sides, and this is Manager Meetings. This show is an exploration of investment opportunities. Through conversations with money managers conducted by one of the manager's institutional clients, We'll share the stories and strategies that attracted their attention and capital. You can learn more and join our mailing list at CapitalAllocators.com.
1: All opinions expressed by TED, guest hosts, and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of capital allocators or their respective firms. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of capital allocators, the firms of guest hosts, or podcast guests may maintain positions in securities or managers discussed on this podcast.
0: On today's manager meeting, Greg Dowling interviews Florian Bartonek. Greg is the co-CIO and head of research for Fund Evaluation Group, an institutional OCIO and investment consultant with 83 billion dollars in assets under advisement. Florian is the founding partner and CIO of Constellation Asset Management, a long-only asset manager focused on Brazil with approximately three billion dollars in assets. Florian founded Constellation in 1999 alongside Jorge Paulo Lemann and 3G and brought in Steve Mandel's Lone Pine Capital as a partner in 2007. Their conversation starts with Florian's career in investment management, his passion for reading, and an overview of Brazil's business environment and equity market. They then turn to Constellation's investment philosophy, team, portfolio construction, and investment examples. Lastly, Florian discusses opportunities and risks in Brazil, and his prediction for Brazil in the next World Cup. Please enjoy Greg Dowling's conversation with Florian Bartonek from Constellation Asset Management.
2: I am very excited today. I get to speak with a good friend. I just wish we were doing this conversation from Sao Paulo. Florian, would you mind introducing yourself?
1: Of course, Greg. Pleasure being here. It's definitely warmer here in Sao Paulo, Brazil. <laughs> so happy to be here and sharing a little bit of our view and experience on investing in emerging markets, investing in Brazil. So to start, I've been doing this for 30 plus years. I started by the end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s at an investment bank. At the time, the largest investment bank in Brazil still is. And it was a different market, Greg. It was all about the market timing. It was all about flows. It was all about having an edge on politics, on the economy. And through the years, we had foreign investors starting to invest in Brazil and in Latin America. And this changed the game to a much better level and a much more sophisticated way of investing. So, again, I started as an analyst, quickly became head of research, proprietary trader and portfolio manager all at once. I did three things at the same time. At that time, 30 years ago, clients were happy. They said, oh, they had the head of research and proprietary traders is managing my money. Great. Today, this is unacceptable, obviously, for very good reasons. But at that time, it was okay. No separation of duties back then. Exactly. So after a couple of years, I focused only on managing equity portfolios. At that time, I managed a fund called Infinity Fund, which was, in one given year, the best performing fund in the world. During some time, I managed a value investing portfolio for George Soros, And after eight years at the bank, I started, let's say, a proprietary fund for three families who currently are the largest shareholders of ABI InBev, Kraft Heinz, Burger King, and others. This was beginning of the 2000s. And at that time, again, it was more about trading and long and short because the perspective for Brazil weren't that great. So we had to do longs and short to kind of try and be market neutral. But the strategy quickly evolved to long- only long-term compounders, and that's what we have been doing for some time. It's been a choppy but very interesting ride in the last 30 years.
2: You mentioned those families. I believe that's the 3G family? Correct. And then you also had some help from some other friends, maybe that some listeners may be aware of and know. Can you maybe talk about some of the other
1: folks that were involved in Constellation? Of course. There's no right or wrong, but I always liked having a boss or someone more senior alongside me. I always like to have a mentor. Because again, in investing, if you can share your fears, if you can have senior soundboards, people that went through what you're going through now, it helps a lot. So I had people at the Banco Pactual, which today called BTG, who are great traders, great investors, and great economists helping me, Jorge Paulo is still a great mentor, great investor. I also had great mentors or friends that operated businesses that teach me how business work. So it was a comprehensive education and I was always looking for mentors. And sometimes reading a book, you wouldn't be able to have Benjamin Graham as a mentor today, but why not spend some hours with him reading his books? You may probably not be able to have Warren Buffett as a mentor today, but why not spend some hours alone with him reading his books. I always like to read a lot biographies. Benjamin Franklin, he couldn't be a mentor, but still, if you read his biographies, it's like having a conversation with him. I'm always curious and I love to hear stories of people and they always inspire me, especially people that are very successful because they always make you think bigger and wanna do greater things.
2: One of the things that impressed me when I was in your offices were the amount of books, and many of them are the Western classics, you mentioned Benjamin Graham, but your office is full of them. So I can
1: definitely attest to at least some interest in reading. And it's an evolution. As most investors, you start with reading and reports, you start at uh, valuation, then you move to the great investors, Peter Lynch, Warren Buffett, Fisher, and then you start reading about other sciences. It's interesting because 20 years ago, I was walking through the offices of the bank and the head economist of the bank, who is currently the economic minister, as we call it here in Brazil, he was reading a book. And I said, what are you reading? And this was during today, which at that time said, look, this guy, he's doing trading hours. He's reading. He's crazy. So he must be reading something about markets. And he was reading Darwin. Oh, why are you reading that? I said, no, this has everything to do with markets. Learning, reading, understanding other sciences is key, I think, to investing plus understanding businesses. I was very fortunate to have Bruce Greenwood as a professor for a value investing course. And I asked him, Professor Greenwood, which book do you recommend? He said, you know what? I recommend you reading any reports. Because the more you understand businesses, the more businesses you see, a better investor you get. This is very similar to art. I had an art professor. And I asked him, how do you know why this piece of art is worth $1 million, while the other one is worth $100,000? He said, look, the more art you see, the better your eye is trained, if you will. Same thing with businesses. So today, I read a lot of different things, but I still read a lot of annual reports and also the classics. I try to read one book a week or every two weeks, and there is no way you have a great book being published every week. So you know what they do? I read Warren Buffett letters. I read them 10 times. I read the classics again and again. Sometimes it's better to reread the classics than try and come up with new books just for a fear of missing out. So yeah, reading is very important.
2: I totally agree. And maybe what you're investing in changes, but how to invest doesn't change that much. So it's always good to have that grounding. You mentioned markets and your little bit your background. I wanted to level set for listeners that maybe aren't as familiar with the Brazilian market. Would you mind giving us some insight on what does the market look like? How many stocks are out there? What's the liquidity? Is there orientation towards one or two sectors? So just give us a little bit of data on
1: what the Brazilian stock market looks like. Of course. So Brazil is a very big country, 220, 230 million people, very young, very tech savvy. In some apps, Brazil is the first or second country in terms of users for Waze or WhatsApp and others. Brazilians are really fast adopters of technology. It's mostly middle class. In terms of the economy, it's, I'd say, market-friendly economy. It's an open society. There's the rule of law. We have free press. So it's a big economy. It's very innovative. I think it's a great place to invest. The level of corporate governance is great. And the majority of our investors are international investors. Sovereign wealth funds, endowments, pension plans, families, all around the world. And when they come to São Paulo or Rio, São Paulo is the business capital of Brazil, They get really impressed with the quality of managers and business people here. So I think it's a very sophisticated country. It's very idiosyncratic. We'll touch on that later. It's very liquid. In the last couple of years, we had several great new businesses going public, like just last week, Nubank. Nubank is the largest digital bank in the world with almost 50 million customers. It's now trading at a $45 billion dollar Valuation. Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway actually invested in the private round and in the IPO. Sequoia, SoftBank are investors. So we have had several unicorns, several 10, 20 billion dollar companies being listed in the last couple of years. So it's a relatively liquid market, billions of dollars traded every day, several ADRs in the New York Stock Exchange. The local market is relatively big. Currently have, I would say, guess 5 million, 6 million investors in the stock exchange, which is not that big compared to the United States, but it's much bigger than it was before. We had like 2 million a couple of years ago, now it's like 6. And as I said, it's a big market, investor-friendly. However, it has a lot of challenges in terms of doing business here. It's a relatively closed economy in terms of import-exports. There is a lot of red tape, regulatory issues. It's a big country, so distribution is a challenge. Access to local talent, managerial talent is a challenge. So local incumbents have a lot of competitive advantages. So it's very hard for a foreign company to be profitable in Brazil. With the exception of Santander, which actually acquired a big local bank here in Brazil, very few international banks make money in Brazil. And when you look at the return on equity of the local banks, it's like 20%. Car rental, one of the most efficient car rental companies in the world is Brazilian. The U.S. companies never really were profitable here. Same thing in healthcare, same thing in beer. So Ambev is probably the most efficient or the best managed beer company in the world. So given that it's so hard to do business here, especially for foreigners, the incumbents have huge competitive advantages. So you do find great local companies. And as the economy is, as I said, big these companies can get to $10, 20000000000 billion of valuation. I would dare to say that corporate governance is the best among emerging markets here. If not the best, among the best, definitely. Let's talk a little bit about that. Let's go another
2: layer deep. If I'm investing in Brazil, why should I invest in active management versus just passively in an index?
1: The way that some indices are, let's say, constructed or set up in emerging markets is idiosyncratic as well. So, for instance, in Brazil, commodity producers and some very liquid stocks represent the bulk of the index. And the weightings change is very slow. So when you look at the Ibovespa or the MSCI, again, commodities are the majority of the index plus large banks steel companies, but when you look at what's really exciting in the economy, the innovators or the big companies, most of them are not yet in the indices because it takes some time for them to get into the index. So it's almost the index represents the old quote unquote Brazil, whereas the new exciting innovative companies are not yet in the indices, right? And some Brazilian companies that are listed in the United States, so they won't be a part of the index soon. So when you go passive, it's almost like investing in the old, boring Brazil. Still, fuel distribution, mining, great companies. But it's not the future, and it's not the most innovative companies. So I would say that in Brazil, and probably most emerging markets, going local makes a big difference. I strongly believe in specialization, so an investor who has a niche He's specialized. He has an edge in that industry, in that region, in that market. I think being specialized makes a big difference. So that's what we are here in Brazil. We have probably better access to private companies, which today is hugely important for investing in public companies. And that's another topic which I think is very interesting, the the overlaps between public, private, and international. And the local managers have been able to generate a lot of alpha in the last 10, 20 years. So the numbers are there and much more indices agnostic than average. So we want to be in the best companies. We don't really care much about the indices. It seems like
2: many of the Brazilian managers have very large active share versus their benchmarks, which definitely helps. So you have now sold us on why we should be active. So maybe we can go and you can tell us about how you are active. So let's start with your investment philosophy. What's the overriding philosophy at Constellation?
1: Our philosophy has been shaped in 30, 35 years of observations, what works and what doesn't. And given the volatility of the economy in emerging markets, as the balance sheets of governments are more fragile, markets are more volatile, what has really worked is the compounders. Credit, for instance, is either available or not available. So during downturns or bad economic cycles, the strong get really stronger. It's a very hostile market for the third, fourth, fifth player. So during market crises or economic crises, there's a lot of consolidation. So the strong in Brazil get stronger during crises because they have the strongest balance sheets. They consolidate their industries. And given how hard it is to compete with these incumbents, they are great businesses and they grow and grow and they compound very nicely. Just some examples. The largest drugstore and pharmacies, let's say chain in Brazil, they're opening this year more pharmacies than the combined number of their competitors. The leading apparel retailer grew sales 20% on the third quarter year over year, which is more than double the growth of the other players. So the strong get stronger. The strong usually have a stronger moat. The strong have a flywheel. So the best way for us, I think, to invest is finding these great businesses great people that acts and thinks like owners. Because, you know, owners at the end of the day, they take more risk. And companies now have to take risks, given that all of the businesses are being disrupted. So you need more risk takers. And owners are, on average, better risk takers than, let's say, professional managers in corporations. Again, they're exceptions, but on average. So compounders, great businesses, the stronger, the stronger. In emerging markets, you really should buy the best property in the sector, trying to buy the second, third best just because they're cheap is a trap. This is maybe even global. The valuation gap between the best companies and the so-so companies has never been as wide as it is today. In emerging markets, I think that the currency is a risk, especially for Greg. You guys, you're dollar denominated, right? So you don't care if you make money in the local currency, but losing dollars. You're looking in dollar returns. So one additional risk in emerging market is the currency. The currency risk is relatively expensive most of the time. So the best hedge for the currency and for volatility is growth in emerging market. It's not value. Again, that's my personal view. If you want to invest in emerging markets or in Brazil, look for growth. Do not look for trying to buy cheap stocks. Look for the best businesses that are growing much more than average. And that's the best way in the long run to make very nice returns. We made 12 times our money in the largest education company in Brazil, six times our money in the largest e-commerce business in Brazil, eight times our money in the largest drugstore in Brazil. And this is eight years, six years, seven years, and just betting on the best. I know it's become a cliche recently. You never hear a manager tell you, no, you know what? I look for the worst companies, the worst management teams. It's all the same. The best people, the best businesses, a large addressable market. But again, it's easier said than done. Because there is a natural tendency to buy cheap stuff. We Brazilians, we love to go to Miami, to the United States, to Disneyland, and there are all these outlets. And people tend to go to the outlets and buy all of the cheap stuff. There's never your size. I wear 11 and a half, so it's either 13, 14, or 6. So sometimes there is a 10 and a half, which is so cheap you just buy it because you think it's going to stretch. Right? It, it's a mistake. Pay the right price and buy the thing you want. So. People tend to look for cheap stuff. And in my personal experience, all of the assets, public companies or others that I bought, think, look, you know what? This is not so cheap, but it's very high quality. I made money. Most of the things I bought think, oh, this is really a bargain. I probably didn't make a lot of money. So again, it's compounders, quality, harder to do than people think. In the past... Foreign investors looked at international markets as a must do because there's this global indices. What we are seeing more and more is global investors looking at the world saying, you know what? I want to invest in the best businesses, in the best people, either managers or companies. Sometimes the best beer company happens to be in Brazil. If the country is liquid, eligible, and safe, quote unquote. Why settle for the second best bank in the world just because it's in my backyard? Why settle for the third best management in the banking industry just because it's in my home country? So I think that's the way people are starting to look at the world. Instead of I have to have Brazil just because it's in the indices, I say, well, you know what? there are great people. there, either money managers, either companies, and I want to participate in those businesses. The focus on quality growth,
2: the compounders, that's really your history and what you guys have found success on. I wanted to talk a little bit about your team before we even got into process, because you made a comment earlier that said that there's some great companies in Brazil, but they're not all great. And that at times in any emerging market, it is hard to find good corporate management. So is it also hard to find good investment
1: talent in Brazil? On one hand, the market is more volatile, so it's harder. It's almost like dog years. 10 years investing in Brazil, it's almost like you've had been probably 20 years investing in some more stable markets, right? So it's a market for fast learners. It's relatively hard, especially these days where you have a lot of competition from venture capital for talent, from private equity for talent. And it's a good thing. 30 years ago, there was a line of young talent in front of the bank because they all wanted to work on Brazilian Wall Street. These days, Most bright young people, they want to start their own business, which is a great thing. They want to work at venture capital. So your company or your fund has to have a brand that's very attractive for young talent. And what's that? I think first, I always say we are also a learning company. People have to learn here. I like one of those hospital TV shows in the US, right? And this is a learning hospital. So all of the interns, they do participate. At least they watch all the surgeries. Same thing here. So we have all of the young talent in the room discussing the investment cases. So they learn. Imagine their intern. When they go back to their classes, they have to tell their colleagues, you know what? At Constellation, yesterday I had a meeting with the CEO of company XYZ. Yesterday I had a meeting with the I don't know, secretary of the treasury. Really? Do they invite you? Yes, they do. So we have to create a brand that when our interns or the young analysts, they go back or they talk to their friends or to other students, they really talk highly about us and all of the opportunities we give them. Lone Pine Capital is a good friend of us and a GP in our business. And I really admire Steve Mandel. And once he told me, he said, look, Florin, the thing you have to do is Constellation has to be the place where young, talented students aspire to work at. You have to be the brand. So that's what we do. And it takes a lot of work because teaching is mandatory reading, mandatory courses. There's a list of courses every analyst has to take. It's a constant work, but I think today we are among the top brands. The way I see it is when you begin as an investor, you're almost like a, I'd say, journalist. So you go to a company meeting, you just take notes. Then you start modeling. Then you start becoming an analyst. So you go to the meetings, you take notes, and you have an opinion. After a while, you start having an opinion on business models. What makes a good business? What makes a good management team? Then you start having an opinion on people. So, you know what? I like this business because of this and that. And I trust that management team. And one day, you start having opinions on stocks, which is a totally different thing. To my mind, it's really a kind of pyramid. Everybody can be a journalist, just taking notes. Most can do good spreadsheets. Most can have an opinion on the quality of businesses, but it's very hard to find analysts or portfolio managers that have the talent to have an opinion on stocks. But again, that's our job, is create environment for people to thrive here and grow. And the best way to do it is again participating in the meetings, going to meetings with companies and meeting people and through courses.
0: absolutely free, at netsuite.com slash allocators. That's netsuite.com slash allocators to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash allocators. And now, back to the show.
2: So let's talk a little bit about process. Is there the ability to gain an informational edge in a place like Brazil?
1: Yes. As I mentioned before, it's different today. The biggest risk today for our businesses is disruption. 20 years ago, when we discussed an investment in a, let's say, large bank or a beer company, we didn't discuss at all about ESG. We didn't discuss at all about disruption. The only thing we discussed was what's the economy going to do? Better economy, better earnings. So that was it. Today, all of our businesses, we have to discuss disruption. And disruption comes mostly from the private sector. So you have to have your analysts talking to private companies where you can get your edge. And for emerging markets, you also have to look at international companies. I tell our analysts, if you want to have a look at the future, jump on a plane, go to the United States or China, go see the future and come back from the future. In order to understand a Brazilian bank, You have to look at the private banks, the startups, and you have to look at the international banks, either JP Morgan or Chime or Revolut or others. Our job is three times harder today than it used to be. You get your edge from first, looking at the future. Secondly, talking to private companies. And also, I think that pattern recognition, experience makes a difference. It's not enough, and sometimes it's a minus because things change. So you say, ah, no, because 30 years ago, this used to work this was 30 years ago it doesn't necessarily work anymore so yeah i think it's very possible to get an edge here and again i'm a strong believer of specialization so if you are a global investor there are some advantages for instance you see what's happening in other countries and say oh this is happening here maybe it's going to happen in brazil as well but i'm a strong believer in the local talent and a local experience
2: so well, let's put it all together you run a pretty concentrated Portfolio. So, talk to us a little bit about portfolio construction and
1: how you think about it. To run a successful asset management business or a fund, you have to have three things. First, you have to be a great stock picker, a great portfolio manager, and a great business manager. And business manager means you have to have mostly a great team and a great client base. Because, again, if you're a great manager, but you have the wrong clients, you'll be selling when you should be buying and you would be buying when you should be selling. So first of all, you have to be a great stock picker. And this is talking to a lot of people, being curious about business models, trying to understand what makes a great business and talking to companies, companies and companies. Then know how to build a great portfolio. Most of the times is having the right balance. Sometimes it's a barbell. So we may own a digital bank and a commodity producer. We may own a e-commerce business and a, let's say, sugar and ethanol company. So having the right balance, knowing how to do sizing. Sizing is not rocket science. You shouldn't have, in the long run, 15% in one company. You shouldn't, because again, this is a competitive business. We are not managing our own money and we don't care. No, this is a competitive business. You shouldn't have 15% in one company. Of course, if you're right, you're a genius. But if you're wrong, you lose your business. So it's good common sense. You shouldn't have a 15% position, 20% position if you're running a fund with clients. Our clients are long-term. Most of them have been with us for 10, 15, 20 years, but still. And if you find a great business, you don't have a 1% position. So it's good common sense. Do not overcomplicate things. Our positions are 9%, 10%. It also depends on liquidity. You're not going to own 10% in a small cap. It doesn't make sense. You're not going to own 10% in a very risky business. Again, if it's a great business, a liquid stock, you could own 8%, 9%, 10% of your portfolio. If it's a more volatile business, less liquid, 1%, 2 or 3%. At the end of the day, it is also avoiding the big mistakes. And the mistakes are leverage. The mistakes are over concentration. The mistakes are lower quality companies just because you're cheap. So if you avoid the big mistakes, you should be OK. There are great stock pickers lost their business because they weren't great portfolio managers, because they were overconfident, concentrated too much in one or two stocks, made mistakes, because you know we all make mistakes. And when you make a mistake in a big position, sometimes it's game over. So at the end of the day, do not overcomplicate things. I love the 60-year-old or 50-year-olds. I love the 20-year-olds. The 30, 35 are the most dangerous. Why? Because when you're 50, 60, you saw a lot of things, and you simplify. You know what works, what doesn't, and you do it very simple. When you're 20, 18, 25, you don't know much, so you also simplify. When you're 35, 40, when I was in my 35, I wanted to do everything different, overthink things. So do not overthink positioning. Do not overthink portfolio managers. It's good common sense. And again, if you have good companies and if you're diversified in terms of risk factors, you should be okay.
2: I'm in that age bracket now where I guess I'm trying to simplify. So that's helpful. It's trying to have conviction, but not too much concentration. I thought that was a great way of explaining it. So we've talked about the team and the philosophy. We haven't really talked about what are the current market opportunities? What are you most excited about? You threw a few names around New Bank and others. What is Constellation excited about right now in Brazil?
1: As I mentioned before, you know, they're these great incumbents who have this flywheel, great brands, great gross margins, a growing market, the best management team, growing earnings at 20-25% a year. So you do find great businesses growing earnings at 20-25% a year. Just some examples. We're very excited with a company called WEG, which is an industrial company, but more than half of their products were launched in the last five years. And this is one of the best managed companies in Brazil. Today is actually a global company. It has operations all around the world. They are involved with solar, wind, their suppliers, electric motors, systems. So this is a very well-managed business, very innovative. It's a supplier to growth sectors. So that's one that's a great business. It's been a great performer, but we see a 25, 30% IRR per year at the current multiple. There's another company we like a lot, which is RedeDoor. RedeDoor is the leading hospital operator in Brazil. They have the best management and the best operations, and they're consolidating the market. And healthcare in Brazil, as in other places, is a growing business. It's growing three or four times GDP. So it's very strong tailwinds in the sector and the best management team. It's run by the owners. It's a 20-plus billion-dollar company and trading at 25, 30 times earnings. Most of the companies we like have a price to earnings growth below one. We like XP. XP is, if you will, the Brazilian Charles Schwab. The share of independent banks or brokers in the asset management business is very small. So most big banks dominate the fund management business, right? And XP is growing with a better product, a more sophisticated offering. And the stock trades at 20 times earnings, which is a bargain. Growing earnings at 30, 35 percent. And it is... The best product, the best brand in the financial advisors or asset management business. So it's a great business trading at a very attractive valuation. We like do do Raidogazil is the leading drugstore and pharmacy business in Brazil. As I mentioned before, it's opening 300 locations a year. It's the best brand. It has the flywheel in the sector. It has the best data. It's the largest buyer of medicine in Brazil. So it has the best prices. So it's a growing machine. Again, it's healthcare, which is a growing business, so it's also a great stock, great company. All of these companies are owned and managed by the owners, so great businesses. We also like a lot TOTUS is the largest ERP software as a service company in Brazil. It's also family owned. It's the leading ERP company in Brazil. And now growing in adjacent areas with ancillary products like credit, Mm -hmm. SEO for online marketing. It's a subscription-based business growing top line and earnings at 20, 25% a year, trading at a big discount to the big software as a service companies in the U.S. or in other markets. And the tax code in Brazil is very, very complex. So even multinationals use Tato's software in Brazil. Because in order to understand the tax code, you have to have a local provider. So that's one of the advantages of the local incumbents. Localiza, the largest car rental company in Brazil, all the stay wins in car rental. Most young people don't want to own cars anymore. And the best alternative is doing a long-term, as they call it, rental with Localiza. It's the leading business, great margins. They just acquired the second largest player. It was just approved by the antitrust authorities here. So we expect earnings to grow 25 30% a year with synergies and the growth of the market. There's a common theme. Businesses that have tailwinds in their industries and managed by the owners who have the right incentive to do the right things. So you mentioned a
2: couple of the price-to-earning multiples, but overall, what do valuations look like in Brazil? I get the sense that they're much lower than a lot of the other emerging market countries very much compared to the US. But what about these compounders? They've gotta be higher, although maybe they're less than the US. So talk to us a little bit about overall valuations, but then the valuations of the companies that you're most interested in.
1: You have almost two groups, which I think is very similar to the US, right? So the one is the low growers. And as I mentioned before, the valuation gap increased a lot in the last couple of years. If you're growing at five, 4% a year, nobody cares. If you're growing 20, 25, everybody Mm -hmm. wants to invest in the business. So the big banks are trading at eight times earnings, nine times earnings, 6% dividend yield. So there's a big question mark regarding the returns or the profitability of these banks going forward, as most of them are being attacked, if you will, by disruptors. You have the commodity producers, CVRD, Value Redos, which is one of the largest mining companies in the world, Petrobras, the local oil monopoly trading at... 10 times earnings, 11 times earnings. And again, these are very cyclical, so there is discount given that earnings are less predictable. So 8, 9, 10 times earnings for low growers. And then you have the compounders trading at 25, 30, some trading at 32. And you also have some highly innovative companies like Mercado Livre, which is the leader in e-commerce in Latin America, trading at 100 times earnings, 90 times earnings. But these are growing earnings at 40, 50% a year. So not very different from the US. What I will say is that Brazil is cheaper in terms of price to growth. So when you look at the price to growth, most of, most of these compounders are trading at 0.8, 0.7, 0.75. So compared to the US, they're relatively cheap. And the high growers, let's say the really high growers, they're trading at half of the price to revenues compared to their peers in the US or China.
2: Gotcha. So on a peg ratio, good value for some great companies. We... Probably need to talk a little bit about risks. We'd be remiss if we didn't hit on risks. When we think of emerging markets, and especially Brazil, I think of macro risk
1: and I think of political risk. So, what does that look like today? There are so many uncertainties, and the certainties is worse than risk. Because if there's risk, you just price it and you move on. But when there's uncertainty, and the uncertainties are inflation, therefore interest rates, therefore growth, there is a question mark on. China in terms of what are they doing with some sectors, what are they doing regarding some public Chinese companies. There's uncertainty regarding tech valuations if you have interest rates rising in the U.S., given that most of these stocks or companies are, say, long-duration assets. So higher rates do have an impact on long-duration assets. There is a question mark or uncertainty regarding fiscal policies. And this is all around the world, given that COVID widened, if you will, the income gap there is a real and fair and justifiable demand for more incentive, especially in Brazil for the poor. So there is this question mark about the fiscal picture going forward. And in Brazil, there is a uncertainty regarding next year's 2022 elections. Too early to know. But still, when you look at the polls, you have the two perceived far left and far right candidates at the top in terms of the polls. So a lot of uncertainties. And this backdrop of uncertainties is what caused the recent correction from, let's say, September, October, November, where you had stocks falling 40 percent, 50 percent, 30 percent. When we look at our businesses, in the last six months, on average, the companies fell 30 percent from the peak. Some fell 40, some fell 15, but on average 30. When you look at earnings expectations. They're after the third quarter earnings, they were up five to eight percent on average. So stocks are down thirty, give or take. Earnings expectations are higher, not lower. So it was all about multiple contraction, these recent corrections. So what I'm saying is that today you could be buying these great businesses at one and a half standard deviation below the average multiple of the last three to four years. So there is a lot of uncertainty, which creates opportunity in the great businesses. And when you look at earnings, which is the most important thing, right? Because for us, what really scares us is not multiple volatility, is when earnings start to deteriorate, because that's really bad. And when we're wrong about the timing, maybe we bought a little bit more higher than we should. That's okay. But if you were wrong about earnings or the business or profitability, that's usually a permanent loss of capital. So it's a very interesting time because there's a lot of uncertainty. Valuations contracted, again, one, one and a half. On average, standard deviations below the average multiple. A peg ratio below 1.8, 0.85, 0.75. So I think it's a interesting time to buy. Usually, when it's darkest, it's most scary, but it's the best time to buy. What we are seeing in our business is we are seeing international investors adding to Brazil right now. Why? They tell us, look, you think Brazil is complicated, it's tough, but most emerging markets are. It's not a walk in the park when you invest in emerging markets. So we are used to it. When locals are pessimistic, because inflation, interest rates, politics... Usually when local investors are pessimistic. Usually when valuations are cheap, when the currency is cheap, which is the case with the Brazilian real, it's an interesting time to get in or buy. And our investors, they tend to do a portfolio rebalancing, which is one of the very few formulas that work in markets in general. Why? Because it's very hard to do, because you have to be buying when you want to sell and you have to be selling when everything looks great. So we are seeing international investors adding to Brazil, let's say, using an active portfolio rebalancing strategy. So yeah, a lot of uncertainty, cheap valuations, foreign investors adding, and earnings are doing relatively well. So I think the fundamental story is good in Brazil, although, again, politics, inflation, interest rates, is the US going to tighten too early, too soon? All of those are still question marks out there.
2: We have political risks in the U.S. as well, and Brazil has gone through a lot, and there's still great companies that have been around for years and years and years, and companies and good management teams definitely figure it out. Wanted to finish on a few just fun questions for you. We started earlier talking about books, and I mentioned there was a lot of books on your shelves at your offices. Flooring. what is your favorite book on investing?
1: I always tell people, read how to make friends and influence people, which is actually Warren Buffett's recommendation as well. Dale Carnegie. Exactly. I love Bruce Greenwald's books, Competition Mystified, which is a great book to understand business models. It's a great book. There is one book, which is, I think it's called Value Investing as an Art, which looks at different disciplines and how these disciplines influence investing. I love Peter Lynch's books, One Up on Wall Street. It's a great book, especially for individual investors. So yeah, Valuation by Aswat Damodaran. I was just asked to write the introduction for the Brazilian edition of Reminiscence of a Stock Operator, which is a book I read 30 years ago. So I had to read it again. And it's a great book. It's a very interesting book. This is for the Brazilian listeners, but I kind of co-wrote a series of books with interviews with great investors in Brazil and great businessmen. So that's a set of books that I like a lot.
2: Yeah, that should be one that maybe investors read if they're interested in learning more about some opportunities in Brazil. And hopefully they are. So a couple of Brazil questions for you. If we have drummed up interest through our conversation here and investors come down to do due diligence while they're there. You have us three touristy things they have to do.
1: They have to go to the shopping malls, the nice places, but they also have to go to the big shopping malls in the I would say, for lack of a better word, not so nice places, right? To see really what Brazil is about, and they're gonna see in a Saturday hundreds of people in the malls, and it's interesting to look at the stores. You're gonna see a lot of local brands. You're gonna see a lot of local stores. And you're going to see what really Brazil is about, young people in the malls consuming and having a great time. So you have to go to the malls to really understand what consumption is about. You should go and talk to young people if you have a chance. So ask them, what apps are on your phone? What are you watching? What are you consuming? What do you want to do with your life? And I think investors are going to be impressed with how sophisticated and how entrepreneurial the young generation is so talk to the young talent what people usually do they go and talk to government officials experienced businessmen blah 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 but the real story in brazil is with the young generation with entrepreneurs go talk to some venture capital funds and see all of the energy and great new businesses and innovative ideas that are being created here in brazil give us some fun things to do so you should definitely go to see a football match Definitely you should go to the beaches. You're going to be impressed with how nice people are here in Brazil. Try the food, art. So yeah, go to see the real Brazil, not just come to São Paulo and do the rich guys tour and go to the shopping malls and go to buy things at Chanel or Gucci, which doesn't make sense at all, right? Go to see the real Brazil. Very good. Last question. Will Brazil win the next World Cup? I hope so. We need to have some good news and it's a big thing here. So yeah, I hope we do. We deserve it. It's a national sport, as you know, and people really fanatic you. So, yeah, I'll definitely root for Brazil.
2: Florian, thanks so much. This was a great conversation. and I hope people learned a lot more about Constellation, but also the Brazilian markets in general. So
1: thank you for your time. Thank you, Greg. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: I hope you enjoyed this conversation and maybe even piqued your interest to explore further. See you next time.